Welcome to the Eucharist Podcast with Wyoming Catholic College, responding to the call for Eucharistic renewal by sharing wisdom in God's country. I'm Jeremy Holmes, Academic Dean at Wyoming Catholic College. And I'm Kyle Washett, its President, and welcome to this episode. As we've been talking about the mysteries surrounding transubstantiation and the mystery about what that means in terms of how we should respond to it, we've talked about how the proper response to the mystery of transubstantiation is one of adoration, one of communion, and one of sacrifice, and how in reality those are all three one and the same act that takes place in heaven. But... When we talk about the Eucharistic liturgy as a sacrifice, we may immediately jump to thinking that the sacrifice is only done by the priest. He's the one up there offering the Eucharistic elements on the altar. He's the one saying the words of sacrifice. And clearly he's got some unique role. We're not all the priest. Right. One might think the Eucharist as sacrifice is something the priest does, the Eucharist as an object of adoration and communion, that's what the laity do with it. Right. And so as we are in sacrifice, you could say, we we watch the priest while he does that. We're sort of the observers. Right. And, and therefore, you would think that the real presence, as far as the laity is concerned with, the only action involved on our part for the real presence is the spiritual eating. Otherwise, we watch and we adore. Now, what I'd like to do is is take that idea and kind of run with it a minute, uh, uh, us as watching. And let's, to find out what's going on in this situation, let's, suppo- let's compare it to an outwardly similar but really different situation. Let's suppose that a bunch of Catholics gathered in a church to watch, I don't know, Stan the Carpenter build a table in the sanctuary. Okay. Okay. Now, suppose that these Catholics who are gathered, they, they, they support Stan's project. They, they, they've voiced their support with acclamations and songs. Um, now, when the project is done, would we say that all those people gathered there built the table? No. Doesn't seem like we would say that Stan the Carpenter built the table while they watched him. Right. And cheered, cheered right. them on. No more than I would say I played football when I watch on Sunday afternoons right. the football game. Okay. Um, okay. So... You might think, well, doesn't that sound like what's going on with the Mass, right, where the priest is up there doing the, the actual priest thing, and we watch him, and of course we agree, we, we, we encourage him, and we sing our songs and stuff. So what is the difference? Well, I think there are three differences. Let's think about this. In, in the situations that we're talking about, either Stan the Carpenter or the priest offering the sacrifice, a person does something to an object. Let's just call this one, two, three. Okay. Number one is a person. The person's different in those two cases, right? In one case, it's a carpenter, but in the other case, it's the priest. So the priest has a relation to the people gathered that a carpenter does not have to his audience, right? That is, the priest is there acting in the person of Christ, who is the head of the mystical body. And all the people assembled there are assembled there as members of Christ's body. So right away, since they are united in a very fundamental way through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with Christ the head who is represented by the priest, instantly they have more of a share in the action than they would just say watching a guy build a table. Sure. So in fact, it would be different if, even there just on this analogy, if all of the people in the room 
were in some ways members of the Carpenter Guild and the idea of watching Sam the Carpenter, even then they would not be the same Carpenter as Sam. But in the case of the people assembled in the liturgical assembly, all of them have been baptized into the body of Christ. All of them have received anointing as anointed in Christ. They actually stand in the person of Christ in their own way as well. And, and our interior life as, as those who have been baptized into Christ is that we've re- received the spirit of Christ, the spirit dwelling in him in which he offers himself to the Father is not just the same kind of spirit that, that's in us. It's the very same spirit. We live with his life. So Nicholas Cabasalas makes this point about why traditionally the sacrament of confirmation or chrismation precedes the sacrament of the Eucharist is because the faithful are ordained to be equipped to act with the spirit of Christ, especially in the offering of Christ's sacrifice. So there we have one difference right away. The person doing the action is different. Right. Now, we said that person does something to an object, right? The object that is being acted on uh, is different. That is, the action itself is different. Building a table is a physical action like tying a shoe. It just is. doesn't really matter what it looks like. But the performance of a sacrament is fundamentally the making of a sign. And so... When, when we when we have the body of Christ and the blood of Christ made present on the altar, it's crucial, we said last time, that they are made present one here and one there because the sign of the death is important for the fact that we're offering the sacrifice. Right. So we're making a sign here. And, and, and when you're making a sign, the way things appear is very important. So... The physical, visible presence of people in the church, it's not just, oh, we're here to witness something. They're part of the sign. There's something that is meant by the people being there. Their relationship to the priest and their relationship to the acting, action taking place is represented by their being visibly present. And from the institution of the Eucharist, from the moment Christ celebrates the Last Supper, it's always envisioned that there is a main offerer of the bread and the wine, and other people present, which is alerting us to, huh, in some ways this is part of the sign. So just as the priest standing in the person of the head of the mystical body or standing in the person of Christ, his physical presence at the front of the room is speaking volumes to us in this moment. So the physical presence of the members of Christ is speaking volumes at this moment in terms of expressing outwardly our union with him in this action. And so... One thing, one way that we take part in the offering of the Mass is by being in the building, right? That's one reason why you can't satisfy your Sunday obligation by watching a Mass on the internet, right? Your presence in the room is part of the visible sign of what's going on. This is saying the whole body of Christ, head and members, is doing a thing. Let me say one note about that presence, and I I think about it maybe in terms of the way I think of our family. My family, of which I have six kids. Now, before I had six kids, I had five kids, and before that, four, etc. And every one of the new children we add to the family are equally part of the family. But the family wasn't less family 
before we had baby number five or baby number six. So I'm thinking about what you're saying about the sign value of the people in attendance at the Divine Liturgy or at Mass. Right. It's not as though if I didn't show up, no Mass today because they can't complete right. the sign without me. No, they can. Right. There, there's still a thing happening there. And yet when you're there, you're as much a part of it as any of the other people who are there. You're, you're now essential to it. Just like baby number six is essential to the Washett family. That that's now what it means to be part of the Washett family. So we have six kids. So too, once you're there in the church building, you're an essential part of this sign. Even though if you weren't there, the thing could happen without you. And But to really see the point we're making about the sign that is your physical presence in the room, right, along with the rest of the assembly and the priest, you also have to see that the object that the action is being done on is very different in the case of the mass than it is in the case of, say, the carpenter building the table. In the case of the carpenter building a table, the carpenter's there, we're here, and then the table's just its own thing that he's working on it. We said before that in the case of the Mass, uh, Christ the priest offers Christ the victim. Those two are the same. But now we need to say a little bit more. Christ, when he offers himself, if you read the liturgical texts closely, he's offering the entirety of himself. That is to say, he's offering all his members with him. He's offering all of us in union with himself, right? We all become an acceptable sacrifice because we're in him. Um, and when you think about it that way, well, first off, you see that um, our being present is not an irrelevant thing to what's going on. We want to signify that we're being offered. But there's, there's also the fact that Christ doesn't just offer us against our will, right? The fact, I mean, not only do we will his offering of himself, we consent to his offering of us, right? We consent to being pulled into his action and being part of him as he offers the whole Christ uh, to the Father. Um, and so there's a, there's a self-sacrificial element as well going on in the Mass, and that involves your, our will. That involves our intention, uh, and we, we have to participate actively in that. Yeah, Christ is not going to offer us together with himself to the Father the way someone might say, you know, offer a, a, a bowl or a, a, you know, or a plate. Um, we're living things, and we, and we have to um, f interiorly enter into what Christ is doing with us. I'm thinking that that gets expressed especially in uh, the moment in the Byzantine liturgy, which we referenced last episode, where the priest elevates uh, the, the chalice and the discos, and he says, offering you yours of your own on behalf of all and for all. And the people all respond in an acclamation, singing about what they do. We praise you, we bless you, we worship you, because they're joining themselves to that offering that Christ is offered on, uh, your, on behalf of all and for all. Or it's like the line in the Roman, right? Through him, with him, and in him, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, why are we not at the end of the day, spectators at the Mass. Well, one of the fundamental reasons is because um, when in, in the end, when we are all glorious, glorified and risen and with Christ in the heavenly uh, condition, we will not be fundamentally spectators watching Christ offer himself alone to the Father. No, we're going to be part of those he has redeemed and saved, joined with him and be, and being offered by him in union with him to the Father, and therefore 
actively entering into the thing he's doing ourselves. The, this we make ourselves gift. The, this, I think, is really important. The, the, the making ourselves gift is bound up with what we mean when we profess belief in the communion of saints. What we don't mean when we say, I believe in the communion of saints, is that we all sort of stand around and are equally spectators. But precisely what we say is communicated in the mystery of transubstantiation, all of us being equally intensely united to who our Lord Jesus Christ is, also means that we're all equally intensely united to what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing. And so in some sense, when we're at Mass and we're offering the sacrifice, just as we're anticipating the resurrection of the body, as we talked about a few episodes before, we're also anticipating and realizing in an incomplete way the communion of saints, that unity of the entire body of Christ that will be perfectly accomplished in heaven, all of us doing with Christ, in Christ, what Christ himself does. And in every Eucharistic assembly, whether it's five people there or a thousand people there, the people there represent the communion of saints. They represent all those gathered around Christ. Right, you know, and, and, and including mystically representing the cherubim as the liturgy expresses. Um, now, there's a there's a line um, in I'm trying to remember if it's Lumen Gentium or Sacrosanctum Concilium from Vatican II. Um, I believe it's Lumen Gentium, uh, but the, the but the gist of the line is that that the faithful bring with them when they come to the mass uh, everything they've done. Right, their whole lives, their their activities, their works, their their sufferings, their joys. They bring their lives with them in there, and all of that be, is offered up to God. And we need to note the connection between that and what we said about Christ's offering. That Christ dies once on uh, on Good Friday, but He continues forever to offer that. Right, His intention of offering goes on and on. And just as Christ's suffering is taken up into heaven and becomes part of the sacrifice, so the fact that he does that makes it possible in a secondary way for that to happen to us. You know, my uh, early Saturday morning in the emergency room, um, my, um, my wonderful evening of playing a game with my kids, all the different things that have happened to me, you know, in my life, okay, they don't—they're they, not just alighted out, left behind, deleted. Because now we're in the realm of the sacred, and that was all the not sacred. No, they all come in with, and because Christ has offered Himself as our High Priest, He can bring our lives in and transform them into sacrifice as well. I—I I think they're very much in terms of the parable of the talents that. Our Lord talks about each one of the people he is cre- he's commissioned to go work for him. He entrusts a certain talent, a certain weight. And that weight, a certain gravity, we could say is all of those things that happen in our life, the sufferings, the joys, and the rest. And what happens is when our Lord comes and starts collecting the talents, people come and say, oh, here I had five talents and made five more. Here's the ten talents I gave. I had ten talents, made ten more. Here's What happens is the person with the one talent who buried it in the ground, he's like, oh, shoot, now you're in trouble. Heard in this Eucharistic context, what our Lord is saying is 
everything I gave you, your responsibility is just to bring that with your love to the Eucharistic worship. Unite all of that to me and it will gain interest. It will grow. It will redound. It will become increasingly valuable. The only way it doesn't bring you closer to me is if you bury it in the ground. You don't join it to my sacrifice. You leave it hidden. That what you do when you come to Mass is join your life to my sacrifice. And every time you do that, every time you reach out and put your prayers on the hymn of the priest's garment as he walks by at the offertory, every time you join your songs and heart's desire and your act of faith, you are growing intently in offering that sacrifice and your own life is growing in its weight and its value, which will redound to the glory of God at the end times. And and there's and seen from that perspective, you can see how the mass is sort of the lover's dream come true. Right? Every lover wishes to not only to give him or herself entirely to the beloved, but you wish you could give the world, right? You wish you could give everything, right? And, you know, uh, as though I'm not enough, I, I, I'm going to give all myself. I, I wish I had more, right? And, 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 and when we come to God, above all, we come to our beloved and we, and the, the, the true lover of God, yes, wishes to give his whole life to God. And, and we've talked about that. You bring it in with you and offer it. But then you say, everything I have is so pale when I come to offer it to one like God. And Christ fulfills our wildest dreams by letting us put our lives into union with his life so that the sacrifice, when we offer ourselves, we're offering ourselves in and with Christ. And we can actually offer to God a gift that really is worthy of him, right? We, for, for the one time in our lives, we can give the beloved everything we could have wished. And that is because, again, to beat this drum of the miracle of transubstantiation. Thank you for listening to the Eucharistic Podcast at Wyoming Catholic College. To learn more about Wyoming Catholic College, visit wyomingcatholic.edu.